This next conversation, which will include information about how to win at Monopoly, this next conversation forgets about the pickle uh, we're all in financially. We hear it all the time. Many people say only half-jokingly that their financial plans depend on winning lotto. What if you won the biggest lotto jackpot ever? Or what if you're listening and already very rich, a billionaire who just happens to be holidaying in New Zealand? And we do have 14 billionaires of our own, apparently. That surprised me. Tom Whipple is the award-winning science editor of the London Times and the author of five books, including How to Win Games and Beat People. He has a degree in mathematics, which seems to be useful for him. He's visited the tunnels below the Large Hadron Collider. He's been inside the world's hottest sauna. He's interviewed Stephen Hawking. He's done things which, if he had had to pay for them, would set him back a few quid. Tom's come up with what to spend your money on if money is just no object. Good evening to you, Tom. Good morning from us. Good evening. Good morning. You know, you've visited the tunnels underneath the Large Hadron Collider. Even if you had a couple of billion dollars, you probably couldn't do that. That's the thing. You've done things probably that no money can buy. I guess that's that's the great thing, as I'm sure you know about being a journalist. You get a... You get access to all of these things, but you're you're never you're never quite part of all these things either. That's always you're always slightly removed. <laughs> That's true. Isn't the world's hottest sauna, which I know you've been in, that's somewhere in New Jersey in the US, or have I got that wrong? Uh, I was a competitor in the World Sauna Championships in Finland. I represented ah. Team Great Britain. Um, at the event where the the sauna was 120 degrees Celsius, uh, so enough to you, you couldn't go in with wet hair because your hair would boil. Uh, it was the most pain I've ever been in my life. I think I can confidently say to my wife that I know that I know how bad child childbearing must be. God, it sounds awful. Um, but you have the great honour of representing Great Britain. I did. We 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 didn't do terribly well. It later turned out that the Russians were taking performance-enhancing drugs, and they had, uh, in fitting with national stereotype, they'd dose themselves up on painkillers so they could stay in longer. Didn't they used to have uh, a championship where one of the contestants cooked himself to death? I think they did. And that was the year after I was in it. And oh, it was really? A very sad end. Uh, hmm. The. The event was set up by the by the tourist, the one guy in the tourist board who just wanted to put Hey Nola in Finland on the map, and he did so. But the Russians started taking it far too seriously, and they all turned up wearing speedos with the Russian flag on. And yeah, as I said, one of them took far too many painkillers, and he just stayed there, and he stayed there for six minutes. And the Finn, there was a Finn who always, his big thing was he was the world sauna champion and he stayed there with him. And the Finn ended up going into a coma for a few months and sadly the Russian died. Oh, oh, good Lord. You got out just and so in the time. Fans, Yeah, well, I, I ran out after a minute and a bit and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I had become pain by that stage. It was all, all my brain could feel, all I could think. There are people on the stage to catch you because people when they leave all they can think about is fleeing they had a problem that people would run off the stage they'd just keep on running because it was so hot (laughs) i shouldn't be laughing i am pain (laughs) uh 
Tom Whipple is with us. Now, to quote you, you have the watch, the car and the house. You have the second house, the holiday house, and an eponymous philanthropic foundation which gives you fuzzy feelings of self-righteousness at a very reasonable price, but there's still a billion or two burning a hole in your pocket. Nicely written. And that must cause distress. That must cause distress, wouldn't you think, Tom? All that surplus. Money. I think I think it's a real problem if you've got got more money than you can spend. It is not a problem as a journalist that I've experienced, um, <laughs> but I can empathise with these people. I think we should all empathise with these these poor plutocrats who have found they've conquered the world, but like Alexander, there are no more worlds to conquer. So I decided to do a public service for the world's oligarchs and billionaires and explain how I would spend that few extra billion if I had it. Yes, well done. And that's very generous of you. Overseas people think that New Zealand is potholed with the secret bunkers of the rich, but evidence is scant. Um, you, you have found just the right bunker, though, Tom, for a very reasonable price. I have. It's, I, I love this bunker because you can, you can go and look it up. It's from a... Uh, a company called Ip Oppidum in Switzerland, and they they treat it like they're doing just a normal real estate listing. So it's called Model Leritage because, of course, nothing says past but a bit of French, mm-hmm. and it's called the ultimate bespoke sanctuary for a very very reasonable sixty million US dollars. You can get a blast and radiation shielded bunker. It benefits from twelve thousand square feet of living space, which includes an architect-designed gallery for your art collection, a swimming pool, and and this is the thing I found interesting, because you're sitting out the apocalypse in this. Now, you've, you've found a way that your money will even buy you out of the destruction of humanity. It has room for your staff, and you would like to bring staff, you would like to be waited on hand and foot in the apocalypse, but I wonder if a little bit of you will think, if I bring my staff down there, are they still going to be my loyal employees when it's just us and I can't pay them? So I would learn, I would bring a tin opener down and learn how to open cans of spam myself if I was wealthy enough to afford this. Very good. I, I read this and I thought, how would you keep renewing water and food and disposing of waste? Because ongoing service deliveries would be problematic. Yes, it's got quite a large storage area and you it's got a diesel generator. Your diesel will run out, so you've got to think probably three years for a nuclear accident. You want everyone to have, you want the sort of fallout to have happened. Probably be less time for a really serious pandemic. You could uh, let it pass through and kill all the population and then emerge maybe after a year or so. But yeah, you have to plan these things these things carefully if you're if you've you've invested in Leritage. Yes, I'm sure the very rich do plan carefully now a floating island this is a great idea tom how much do you know um i don't know this is as the estate agents say this is priced on application it is um part of the issue is that you can customize it for what you want now the thing is that islands are, as as a billionaire you want a private island of course you want a private island but islands are inconvenient because they are constrained by geography and circumstance so if you want to you want a private island, this is by a private airport. You want something you can reach easily. And often geography doesn't play well with that. Or the ones that really are good, like so for at the moment in Belize, which is also very advantageous tax-wise, um, you can get long Coco Cays 
38 acres for 100 million US dollars. You can do away with all of these problems if you just make your own island. And that's what a uh, a Danish company is offering. Um, they are Amalara private islands and you will they will build the island to your to your requirements and then they will float it to where you need it and then tether it to the ground. And depending where it is, you can get full services and you can have a lovely bespoke island, even with palm trees. Ah, oh, that's worth saving up for. <laughs> they, they actually have actual islands uh, for sale, of course, as you know, that nature made. Uh, the nearest to us being, I think, Pumpkin Island in Australia for 14 million US. I've noticed the islands around the world and lakes are cheaper, actually, than, you know, having to. Um, and, and your Lamborghini wouldn't get the rust from the sea, you know. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think a lake would... It would depend on the lake, though. I mean, you don't want Lake Baikal. Um, <laughs> probably the Great Lakes in the US, you're a bit chilly. But it, Lake Garda or somewhere like Lake Como would be lovely. Yes. Um, and probably easier access and less likely to have uh, the sort of climate change-induced things for all these private jets. That means your your private island will disappear under the sea. <laughs> We're talking now about... Because, you know... A few of the billionaires could afford what we've already mentioned, but now we get to a serious item that no one else has got, I think. The Migaloo submarine uh, or submerged superyacht for an estimated $3 billion American. This is for the anxious oligarchs, is it, this thing? Yes, yes. I think this is this is an absolute must. And you really, there will, there will be some oligarchs who are kicking themselves. They didn't get into this earlier. So it is, it's exactly what you'd want from your super yacht. It's got your wellness suite. It's got your, your launch. It's got your deck for you to lie on. But it's also, oh, and obviously a helipad. But it is a very big submarine as well. So now as as people like, you know, Roman Abramovich have found out, it's not enough to have a yacht because if if it turns out that your your nation inconveniently goes to war and gets under the sort of largest sanctions of the twenty first century, then you can't leave where your yacht is berthed. His he's skulking around in Turkey at the moment, because if he goes into international waters, he'll get sanctioned and his yacht will get seized. But if you've got yourself a submarine, well, suddenly, suddenly you've got the edge on the world's uh, the world's sanctions regimes. You've got basically the sort of the sort of system that a nuclear deterrent has, which is designed to never be found. So I suspect they've hit on something really useful for today's sanctions conscious oligarch. I think you're right. And it seems to come with two small submarines, you know, just like big boats come with small boats. And that I thought that was really cute, like a whale and her calf. You know, it's a good time. I, I think it's lovely, yeah. It's, and it's exactly that. It's like you've got your sort of little boat to take you to the shore when you're at Cannes. Well, with this, you've got your, your little submarine to go around and explore from your big submarine. And you can, you can imagine having an absolutely lovely time as an oligarch, sort of escaping assassination attempts and NATO and, and everything else and just roaming the seas like Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> it can stay submerged for a month, which would, I thought, result in a serious lack of vitamin D. That would be a downside. I suspect the wellness suite will have you sorted uh, on that yeah, and, and yeah. probably several doctors on board as well who can give you the supplements. The company's CEO and chief designer and chef, no, he's not the chef, says the needs of super yacht owners for their vessels are more complex than ever. That is um, undeniably true, Tom, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is a bit of a, a euphemism for you may have been a bit naughty. We're not sure where your money's come from. So if you put it in something floating, make sure you can get away. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the company promises that those needs which they cater for include unmatched privacy and security. Have these people ever built a submersible yacht? This must have occurred to you because, I mean, I would be happy to take the three billion and try and make the concept happen. I think, um, yeah, I don't think, I did look into this. I don't think there is currently much proof of concept from these guys. I'll be careful choosing my words. Um, of course, if you if you think they're a scam, these are the sort of people that you probably wouldn't want to take large sums of money from then just disappear. It'd be a braver man than me who would say to a... <laughs> So to an oligarch, thanks for the money, now I'm off to Brazil. Um, but yes, they, ha they haven't yet managed to make one. I did love uh, the ride-on garden railway. And in fact, I'm sure if someone started this up here, it might take off. It's quite charming, this concept. It is. And a few sort of quite wealthy people in the UK already do this. The idea that, you know... A lot of wealth is about buying the things that you were, were your childhood dreams. And actually, I should say, you can get a relatively reasonable ride on full steam railway and enthusiasts do it. But if you're, you know, if you're a master of the universe and you're in the boardroom, well, you want to be a station master in your garden and you've got a big garden. And if it's a way to get you around, then probably about £10,000 would cover an acre, £50,000 for a five acre garden. And you're talking about a serious, it's not full gauge, it'll be probably sort of, I think, 10 and a half inch gauge. Um, but it's enough to go round and it's enough to embarrass your children, but also slightly excite them and show that you, you know, you've been able to finally live out those childhood dreams in the same way as at the moment in the UK, the, the cost of replica Spitfire is soaring because the boys who grew up flying the toy ones in the, in the sort of claim and going around with their hands now discover they can afford them. I think the same sort of thing's happening with steam engines and proper railways in your garden. I think it's a marvellous thing to have. And if I had the money, I would absolutely do it. Yeah, I think I'd have one too. Tom Whipple is with us, science editor of the London Times and the author of How to Win Games and Beat People, among other books. And we're going to get to that. Just finally, and just shy of... £400,000, a bit under 800 k of our money. This is my favourite, Tom, the Gravity Industries jetpack. And I watched a video of a chap flying, up, flying this up a mountain in Wales. And this is actually isn't a rich person's toy, really. It, lo it looks a bit like the future, certainly for search and rescue. It is. I mean, this is, this is the interesting thing. So I think when we've been promised the future, it's always been jetpacks and monorails and... You know, the jetpacks have never come. And certainly if, if you're a billionaire and you haven't managed to get a jetpack, then I think there'd always be a slight hole, a hole in your sort of heart where you think, well, what, what is the point of all this money if I can't have a jetpack? And here they are. And as you say, this is not just a, um, a rich man's toy. Uh, this is something that is being looked at seriously by uh, armed services around the world and also by search and rescue because it can get someone up a mountain, as you say, very, very fast. It is nothing less than a proper working jetpack. It's there, it's being used, and, and humans are doing it. And as you say, it feels like the future now. Yes. And it's marvellous. Yes, and we've seen them before, as you say, and there was the, our own sadly failed Martin 
jetpack and there's even a flying hoverboard that somebody's made but this one you wear something on your back only about the size of a tramping or hiking in your parlance a a tramping pack and you thrust your arms into jets like big gloves to vector yourself and you're away laughing it looks so easy yeah 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 it's uh as you said the the arms seem to be crucial um i think there are several sort of recent innovations in composites that make this something that's feasible but it's something that people are using and it seems quite intuitive to do so you know hopefully this won't just be a rich man's toy hopefully this could even be a journalist's salary toy and i could commute to work on it although uh we'll wait and see on that one you're very valued at the london times i'm sure they'd you know cough up for something it could be my own jetpack <laughs> <laughs> i will mention it i'll uh, <laughs> cost rupert murdoch next time i see him look i hope we've given our incredibly wealthy listeners options today tom because as you say it can be hard knowing how to spend money although not usually taxpayers money i notice no <laughs> no 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 this is a yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen while we have you you've written how to win games and beat people there's a games theorist you came across in Sussex who studied Monopoly to discover what is the most landed on square. What follows on from this discovery, please? So this is I, the thing about Monopoly is it's it's got a large element of randomness and it, a lot of it feels like chance, but there are some properties which if you can get them they give you a far better return and now the most it'd be interesting if your listeners can think about what would be the most landed on square so the answer is the orange ones um now they may they may have different names in new zealand because everyone has na- nation specific monopolies i think in the uk it's uh, vine street bow street and marlborough street yeah we still have um, those yeah oh you have those okay well the, the the reason for this is that the most landed on square is jail because you can land on it normally and you can be sent to to jail for various reasons. And then after that, when you're throwing two dice, the numbers aren't equally likely to come up. The least likely numbers are two and 12, because that requires exactly a one and a one or exactly a six and a six. But something like seven, you can make with a three and a four or a two and a five or a one and a six. So the ones in the middle are the most thrown with two dice. And then what you end up with is, well, we've got the most landers on the square is jail, and the most thrown are six, seven, eight, and that takes you to the orange squares. So if you want to get the best possible return on your investment, then go for the go for the orange sets. It's a fantastic revelation. So owning the orange properties would be even better than owning Mayfair and Park Lane? Yeah, of course, because Mayfair and Park Lane give you a fantastic, you know, that is a bankrupting level if someone lands on one of those with a hotel on, but they cost a lot. So you've got to think about return on investment as well. And ultimately, it doesn't matter if you bankrupt someone six times over or one time over, you've still won. Yes, good point. Tom Whipple, thank you very much for your time and your tips. It's been thoroughly, (laughs) it's been fascinating talking to you and also very funny. Thank you very much indeed. It's been good fun.